Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. That's right. You're listening to the Rye Bread and Mustard Mariners podcast. An alternative underground fan podcast of the Seattle Mariners. Brought to you by OB City Entertainment. And now, the host... Of the Rye Bread and Mustard podcast, Myron Sumner. Hey, this is Myron Sumner, and this is the Rye Bread and Mustard podcast, or Mariners podcast. Uh, it's an alternative underground, you know, dive bar on the fringe fan podcast about the Seattle Mariners, if you're wondering what the hell you're listening to. And if you're back, thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, getting back. We actually got some uh, you know, good feedback from people. It's really exciting to uh, hear from some old friends and uh, new friends that are listeners. Pretty uh, surprised about that. Actually, I'm not. I know what the fuck I'm doing. Anyways, um, today right now, as I do this intro, it is as Early in the morning as it can possibly be on April 15th. And today is the Seattle Mariners home opener in Seattle. They've done two uh, opening days already, but this is the one that really counts. We're excited about it. I know people up in Seattle are excited about it. It is also Jackie Robinson Day, the day that I think we should not think. If I could... Uh, change anything or add something to baseball. I think opening day should be on Jackie Robinson day one. It is an important day 
in baseball. It might be the most meaningful day in all of baseball. And also it's, you know, in the middle of April. And I think all these games and these crappy, uh, you know, weather conditions in the last week, or even if it was to start on time, you know, always sucks. I'm going to constantly bitch about that until we are, you know, uh, halfway through the season. Anyways, uh, right here on episode two, this is episode two. There was zero, there was one. Now we're at two. We can discuss some actual Mariner baseball. I mean, we've got a week now of games that we have to chew on. So, uh, Hanno up in Edmonds and I, uh, you know, discuss for about 20 minutes of, you know, what we've seen, what we're liking, what we're concerned about, all that stuff. You get it. It's basic, you know, baseball shit. And then, you know, we talk about some of our um, favorite opening day memories or just the memories that we remember when we think about opening days or have experienced the things that pull out our heartstrings, uh, you know, or just always there in our mind about opening day, specifically in Seattle. And then for our um, last part of the show, our last part of the pod, sorry, let's call it a pod. Let's call it what it is. Uh, We do our Mariners history again, our deep. Mariners histories from the roots and this is something that I just found this week that totally blew my mind which is that the actual Chicago White Sox you know the White Sox the ones that have been around since 1901 yeah those guys yeah they actually were in the process of moving to Seattle in the mid-70s and becoming the Seattle Mariners franchise that we know today it was happening it was a done deal then some things happened so we kind of just put together a segment about that at the end it's pretty interesting um check it out anyways uh enough of this shit sit back relax chill and listen or drive or whatever you're doing to episode two of the rye bread and mustard mariners podcast It doesn't matter how you start the road trip. It's how you end it, right? The book ended the road trip, the opening road trip with some wins. And that's, that's good. That's good enough for me. I, I would like to not have the four game losing streak in the middle. But, um, you know, the weather was awful. I mean, there, it reminded me of when the Seahawks would go play those playoff games in Chicago and Green Bay. And you just can't go there and do your game plan like you, you know, have ready when you're playing in elements like that yeah i mean uh things started out great you know we won two games we could have easily lost those two uh you know and then losing uh four in a row was tough but ending up three and four versus two and five just sounds so much better and so much more positive for the team uh, coming home for the home opener tomorrow yeah nobody wants uh, a five game losing streak going into your home opener that that definitely puts a damper on every you know oh no i totally agree and looking back i mean everybody's kind of on edge off after those losses but uh Last year, we had a five-game and a six-game losing streak, two different streaks in the, in the uh, month of uh, the first month of May last year. So it happens, but uh, yeah, positive things are like, or 
you know, it's still a lot to work on. Still trouble with runners in scoring position. The pitching looks pretty good. Uh, shaking with a couple other guys. The bullpen looks strong. Good some flamethrowers out of the pen. Matt Brash looked good. I do notice that some of the players that are struggling, it, to me, are starting to come along a little bit. So I, I, I'm, uh, I'm optimistic. I am too. And, you know, Robbie Ray uh, yesterday, uh, at the time of this recording, had lost that game, had that really, really, really rough uh, second inning. Um, but, you know, I was listening today on the radio, listening to Rick Riz, Dave Sims talk about that. He mentioned that that was the worst conditions he's ever pitched in in a major league baseball game. And I'll take his word for it. This is the reigning Cy Young. You know, he's not just going to make an excuse. I could tell he couldn't really land or get his footing. And then to hear today on the radio that he was having a hard time, like, gripping, gripping the ball in his glove and having to touch his ball later from his glove, transferring it into his hand for pitch. So, I mean, that that totally screws everything up. And if you noticed yesterday, every time we were on defense and he was on the mound, the wind and the rain would pick up. And when when they were up to, and then when we were up to bat, it would kind of, you know, it, it would be, you know, the wind would still be there, but, it, you know, the rain wasn't coming in hard and sideways like that. It's just one of those things where the baseball gods are just throwing shit at us, right? Yeah, I mean, and another analysis broke, let it be known, that they noticed the ground crew was only preparing the field for when the White Sox were coming out to go on defense and just letting it soak up and pool up with water. And then to get back to what you're saying about Robbie Ray not having control, I mean, Baseball players have played in cold, windy weather their whole life, but we don't play in rain. And when it was a downpour like that, you're not used to throwing the ball. And again, this goes back to one of our original things that we were saying from episode zero to episode one till now. Why in the fuck are we playing baseball games in early April in the Midwest and on the East Coast in places that don't have roofs? It's stupid. You could play all these games out here in the West Coast. You could put them in domes. There's just got to be a better way to do this because either you're playing in that shitty slosh like yesterday and the day before and all that, or you're having to go on your days off and travel to a team to play them for one game, and it completely completely destroys your pitching rotation and your bullpen at the end of the year. It's just so stupid, you know? I just... I, I just... For one, I hate it. And going back to what you were saying about the, their little crooked grounds crew only working for them, I hope that the T-Mobile grounds crew is paying attention. And you know what? Payback's a bitch, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, what are we going to do? Open up the roof when they're up, when they're in the field? That would be funny, but I don't think they can do that. I think there is actually a rule that once the roof closes, anytime between the... Uh, the start or middle of the game, but it cannot then be opened back up when the weather's clear. So I'm sure they can get their hands cool. on. I'm sure they can get their hands <laughs> on some poison ivy. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you're right. They are green thumbs. They know where to get this <laughs> shit. But you know, going back to today, the time of this recording right now, the Mariners just closed out their road trip with a five to one victory. What an excellent pitching performance today by. Logan Gilbert, and the bullpen. I mean, outside of the one inning where I don't know if I've ever seen this outside of a Little League game, there was two pop-ups that dropped due to this crazy win. So back-to-back pop-ups that's in the infield. 
that scored their only run. Yeah, and also in the same inning, a play before the first drop, there was a pop fly in foul territory that had the same effect where uh, Eugenio Suarez could not make the play and the ball dropped in the third base uh, yeah. coach's box. So really it was three balls, three contacted balls by White Sox hitters in a row that were usually can of corn outs that turned into blooper reel material. Exactly. And even Scott Service said that in his post-game uh, press conference. But he did mention those balls were sky-high, straight-up, kind of fungo-type uh, balls that really got in the wind and were moving them a good 20 feet. So, And to mention the next inning, the same thing happened in the Chicago White Sox second baseman. Had a, I don't know as much if it was the wind. He didn't move so much, but... The, he caught the ball in the heel of his glove and dropped it. So it was a wild inning for both teams. Yeah, it was. Um, but today we got the victory. You know, yesterday's game, just it was just, you know, this, the Chicago series besides today was played pretty closely for game one and game two. And today, you know, when the weather was right, the Mariners went out there and kicked their ass. And that's what I think would have happened had there not been those elements. Yeah, I agree with both series. Uh, the pitching was pretty good. Robbie Ray was good for his first outing, um, second outing weather. Um, Flexton, I thought, looked okay, pretty solid. Logan has looked good both outings. Um, Marco didn't have his stuff that game, and Matt Brash was, was awesome. So pitching-wise, I like the way we looked the first series. It's a positive to me. Yeah, and I can't. I guess I can't just go there and say, hey, we would have kicked their ass because, honestly, as much as I'm complaining about the weather, and yes, maybe their grounds crew was helping them out a little bit more, the Mariners still aren't yet hitting the ball like we expect them to. I think that's going to change, but they got to start manufacturing runs. I mean, one time during this entire you know, road trip, they manufactured some runs when they needed to, and that was in that ninth inning when we had the comeback win against the Twins, which I still think was their best inning of offensive baseball. Yes, they've you know put up you know multiple run innings on this road trip, but all those besides that, I think, came from sitting back and waiting for the big blast, right? Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. They, they just came from the big blast. We haven't manufactured much. We get a few guys on. I am I am happy with the way I feel like we're walking a little more. We're not bringing them in. And it seems like anytime we get a guy in scoring position with less than two outs, um, we're struggling. We're striking out. Or if there's one or two outs, you know, we just cannot uh, put two, two or three hits together. So, yeah, it's a struggle to run here in scoring position. Yeah, and a couple of players from our previous episodes that we really focused in on uh, have not really gotten out to a good start. Um, Julio, Julio Rodriguez, you know, he's he's being introduced to this off-speed stuff. He's also being introduced hard and broken in by these umpires on the strike zone. He's getting some tough calls, but still, he's just not there right yet. I think maybe hearing the crowd and getting, getting some, you know, getting some... Uh, Crowd support behind him is really going to pick him up, hopefully here in this first homestand. I know it's probably tough at that age, brand new in the major leagues, and anything that you do bad, there is a monster crowd in the stadium jumping on you for the first time. 
Yeah, and I you could see with his reaction that he was just dumbfounded and kind of laughed at those calls. And I'm sure the Mariners are telling him, Julio, you're doing good. You're you're seeing the zone. You know it. You know you can't do anything about it when a ball is off the plate like that. Keep con- concentrating on your zone and hit it if it's in the strike zone. He's taking monster hacks, you know, when he is swinging. But yeah, the umps aren't giving him the benefit of the doubt when he's got two strikes yet. So. Hopefully that'll change the log averages will uh, even out, and I'm excited to see him come home. Yeah, and I would also say, you know, to what you were saying there is, like, he'd laugh him off and he would walk away. He's, you know, the complete opposite of what Jared Kelnick was last year when he was running into roadblocks, right? There was a lot of the throwing of the stuff and breaking of the bats or whatever. I don't know if he broke bats, but I'm sure he threw some things. A lot of F-bombs flying out of his mouth. The camera crew would have to just pull away from him every time. I mean, he was a nut, you know. But Oh, yeah. He still he still had a yard sale already this year where the helmet's gone, the chin, the elbow pad, the, the batting gloves are flying off, and then the uh, batter boy has to go collect it. But he, uh, I hope he... He's getting better upstairs mentally, you know. He definitely helps the Bat Boy get their get his steps in every day, you know. So, uh, but I will say Kelnick today has got to be feeling good. I mean, he had a home run that hit off the foul pole today. That was what 114 off the bat. That's like Nelson Cruz level of the you know the ball off the bat. What do they call yeah, it? Exit velocity. velocity. Okay. Yeah. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, and also he that was the hardest hit ball so far by left-handed hitter this year. The only guys to hit harder balls are Vladimir Guerrero Jr. twice and um, Giancarlo Stanton. So that's pretty good company, but it's still early with Jared. So yeah, and he even just though you know I was go ahead, sorry. And it's it, yeah, and it's early for Jared, but you know I was super excited. Yeah. Yes, I know. I know you were. I got your text. I I knew what it was. I. From the text, I didn't even, I wasn't even listening or watching at that point. But usually, if it's an in your face text, it's usually about JK to me because, yes, last year I was pretty tough on him. So I'm very, very happy to see him, you know, get it going today. He also just missed a home run in his uh, next at bat. In fact, on the radio call, I was streaming it and listening to it. You know, they thought it was a home run, but. Due to their view, I guess he just missed that one. And if he would have hit it, that would have been pretty cool. He would have had uh, two foul pole. He would have had foul pole to foul pole home runs. Wouldn't that have been insane? Yeah, you know, no, yeah. It, uh, just missed it, you know. Uh, next at bat, got a little uh, bleeder over the shortstop in the left field. You know, had a stolen base. So did Julio. Exciting to see the run game of the young kids running. So it was, it was a good game. Yeah, it was a good game, and I cannot, uh, you know, stress uh, anymore that I think they just need to get home to Seattle. They need to unpack their shit. It's been a really quick spring training. I don't know for a lot of the new players, even if they have places yet. There's people like Winker. He's never even been to Seattle, period, ever in his life. He's not been to Seattle. It's one of the places that he has not played. And I was listening to one of the very first interviews on my station that I like, 710 Seattle Sports. He's never been to Seattle, I believe. And he's a coffee drinker. So I think he's going to be a good uh, fit. It's going to be a good fit for him. Yeah. And plus, obviously, he's a great hitter. Um, I was impressed with his defense. He's had a lot of um, people kind of 
downplay his defense. I thought he looked good and solid uh, through this first trip. And yeah, he's going to like it here in Seattle. And the fans will like him as well, I think. I mean, if you could play any decent sort of outfield in these fucking elements that they just played in, I mean, you're, you're, you're going to do all right. You're going to do all right when you get into T-Mobile. It's more of a controlled, you know, uh, atmosphere there. There is a roof. And I, and I, and of course we've seen him miss two home runs. They were, yes, great plays were made, but I would like to give more of the credit rather than the player who caught the ball to uh, mother nature herself. I mean that he's got some bad luck. Don't let him uh, make any picks or give you any uh, gambling advice right now because he is bad luck, <laughs> right? He's got the worst luck with these, with these home run balls. Don't you think? Oh Yeah. No doubt. Um, but he came up finally uh, a couple days ago and hit the White Sox and had a really solid line drive hit up the middle. And luckily, it wasn't hit near the wall. Otherwise, it would have been rocked or jumped, you know, and made an amazing catch. So I'm looking forward to seeing how he progresses this year and how this lineup can improve. Yeah, and with the team overall not hitting that well, there was a stat that said, like, the balls in play and contact in play, they're pretty good. Just some balls aren't falling in there. I mean, those are big home runs. You In both of those games, if those home runs go, you know, I think you might see Seattle coming away with the victory. Yeah, we were so excited, and everybody was pumped, you know, start off the season well, then a four-game losing streak, and, you know, Baseball, as you know, is it's a roller coaster this season, and so are the games. So, you know, things look positive. Suarez uh, um, started to hit the ball a little better. I know he struck out today, had a homer the other day. Um, his defense looks a lot better from what I was told. Uh, I thought he made some nice plays there. Routine, JP's, you know, hitting about 400. Ty France went yard yesterday, so improvement. So, uh, it's, it's, it's all, I mean, with the Mariners' batting average of what it is, I think it's like 28th or 29th in the league. Uh, frustrating, and the runners in scoring position is really frustrating. So that's what we need to get going. And with our pitching staff, uh, good things are ahead for the team. Yeah, I'm looking forward to week number two, and I'm looking forward to them, and I'm looking forward for this team to actually get their own opening day they've already had to go through basically like two dress rehearsals in minnesota and chicago and they're probably going to get in late tonight and you know they might be dragging a little bit but i know that crowd down there at t-mobile is going to pump them up and this is going to be a great day and remember you can't score any runs unless you get some hits all right now let's get a hitter up there you kid what's your name ruth sir ruth ruth what George Herman Ruth, sir. But my friends call me Babe. Babe. Another Babe Ruth. Well, step up to the plate, Babe, and maybe swat out a few. Hey, Turk, chuck a few into the next Babe Ruth. When you've got a well-known name, people expect a lot. We've got a beer named after the city that means beer. Old Milwaukee. It's a tough name to live up to, but Old Milwaukee is one of the fastest growing major beers in the country. Tell me, babe, you don't happen to know any kids named Garrick, do you? Old Milwaukee beer tastes as great as its name. So, um, 
just a little thing on injuries I noticed. Did you see that Sergio Romo is now on the IL with a shoulder inflammation? No, I did not see that. Yeah, it came down today. Um, so what so, do you see the Mariners do? Uh, do you think they're bringing a, uh offensive player or because we're having offensive woes, or do you think they'll like replace him with another pitcher? Yeah, they brought up another pitcher um, from okay. Tacoma, Matt, Matt Cash. And I also saw that um, uh, Kyle Lewis is um, rehabbing well down in uh, Arizona, but still hasn't played a game yet. So those are kind of our entries. And then also our pitcher, Giles, with the uh, tendon thing, uh, not really much of an update. They're hoping that he'll be ready to go again in another couple of weeks. Uh, the main thing, you know, with those entries is once they start throwing, then they can predict more when uh, they'll be able to uh, come back to the major league roster. Yeah, and I'm okay with shutting down pitchers that anything is going on with them and get shutting them down right now and early because, you know, as we've seen, like you, you let an injury linger all year and then they finally shut you down around the all-star break and then you just don't come back. I know you're probably going to want to move on here, but I saw something today that I really need to get your opinion on. Okay. Um, first base coach today was out on the field, you know, doing his first base coaching thing, and he had a hooded sweatshirt on underneath his jersey, so I could just see the hood out. I've seen that before, and I never liked it, but I've never seen it by a Mariners manager or, or Mariners coach. I get it when they're on the bench and the manager you know, comes out to make a pitching change, but I've never seen a coach out on the field, a base coach, with a hoodie on and his hood sticking out. What, what's your call on that? Well, it, it sounds like he was tailgating before the game and that I forgot. <laughs> I don't know. That's that's a, like, no. That's yeah, like, I get it. Totally well, like a football football fans outfit, right? You know, you you wear the sweatshirt underneath the jersey, and you kind of look a little more sleek and and you know put together. Um, so that's always a good look out on a baseball field. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a big fan of the hood out on the field. But you know, it is what it is. I know they can't wear hoods. I believe underneath their uniforms because they cannot cover the numbers or the backs of uh, their names, which is kind of strange because there's never any confusion of what player was doing what in baseball versus you know football or basketball. But yeah, that is strange. I can't remember ever seeing one actually in a game i've seen it yes on bench players like in the postseason and stuff maybe we i can't make too big of an educated guess because mariners usually aren't playing at the end of the year when there's really cold weather so i'd I'd have to think (laughs) that's funny but it got worse for me later on in the game a guy i think ty france got a single he's you know given a first base coach i don't know his name i'll have to look it up but um he was giving him a high five, congratulating him. You know how the first base coach does that, you know. But now the hood is actually on him, so it's over his cap. He's wearing sunglasses. I just couldn't believe it. It just—I feel like the Yankees would just go crazy, or some other organization with their rules or something. But it just oh, seems yeah. so off to me. Definitely, definitely, any of those traditional teams would would not. Put up with this a lot of teams don't put up with if you turn your hat on back around backwards um yeah that is something that i'm gonna uh look after the rest of the year i you know i think i was born in a hoodie so i mean i do like hoodies <laughs> so i'm not against it it's just kind of weird in a baseball setting but you know we'll see what happens 
Yeah, I mean, that was my take, too. It's just I hadn't seen it before, and especially from a Mariner base coach. You know, like I said, they're all wearing them in the dugout. The coach wears it when he makes a pitching change. You know, I get that. I've never seen a base coach or an actual player have a hoodie on. So I just want your take. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. That's all I got. Hopefully it makes the cut. It does. That's <laughs> his making the cut. <laughs> Get ready to play hardball in the kingdom. Take me to the ball game. I want to see the ants. The Mariners are playing hardball. Princess Tours, the vacation company, brings you the best show in baseball when the San Diego Chicken plays hardball with the Seattle Mariners and the Baltimore Orioles tonight in the Kingdom. I don't know, there's something about that that just seems like there's inaccurate information because opening day is today, if you're listening to this this morning, and it is at T-Mobile Park, not the Kingdom, and sadly, the Baltimore Orioles and... The San Diego Chicken will not be appearing, but the American League champion, Houston Astros, will be there. It's already sold out. My tickets are for sale right now because I can't get up there to Seattle. What is the excitement like? Do you feel like, what is the excitement going to be like tomorrow on Occidental and down at T-Mobile, especially because it's a night game? Yeah, it's a little different with it being a night game. Um, It's going to be sold out, like you said, and there'll be a lot of excitement. Um, Marco's on the bump pitching, but I, it's, it's going to be a good vibe, you know? Yeah. Like the last three games last year were pretty nuts. Occidental was going on. It felt like it's felt like the Seahawk vibe. People were there early drinking throughout all the bars down there. That's got to be great for those businesses. And you know what? I prefer opening night. I know opening day is traditional, but I'm more of a night guy. You know, you can get, you know, for me, it's like, oh, I can uh, maybe try to exercise and do something before I put 9,000 calories into me down, down there with the game, with the drinks and the food and stuff like that. Also, you know, you can plan for it all day a little bit better. Uh, I think, you know, it's it's you don't have to get off work. It being on a Friday night, I would expect it to be fun. I've been to some opening days. Have you been to any opening days? I mean, they're they're always fun. Yeah, I've been to a few, you know. Um, I can remember one vividly. It was about five or ten years ago and talking about the weather the Adams had just gone through. It actually did snow on an opening day. I remember being there and looking out into left field, you know, towards the north wow. and seeing all the snowflakes. I mean, it wasn't a heavy snow, but it was a late snow for Seattle, so it was interesting. And guess what? They still played that game and nobody could bitch about the weather, right? <laughs> you know, it bingo! Bingo! It makes fucking sense jeez quit playing these games out there all right i gotta stop with that we gotta keep it positive right um yeah yeah i've been just a few only positive vibe i've been to a few opening days and uh but you know like some of my most memorable ones that i that i can remember or you know i went to ichiro's uh last opening day in 2018 came back the next year and did his you know final two games in japan but that was still a fun day a fun time i can't really remember i don't really ever really remember too many details of opening days i just kind of remember the vibes and the feelings because it is just a big party for the city i would say oh yeah you're right basically my opening day memories are or non-memories are when i was in my 
prime drinking age era, you know, in my early 20s. It seemed like we would always plan on getting the tickets for opening day. We would get to miss work. We'd get together with our friends and we would party, you know, and just have a good old time. You hit Tiki Bob's, uh, you know, before the game. God, I guess that was, that was, yes, that was, (laughs) (laughs) that was my every summer home home. I could, you could give me, you could, I could get my mail at Tiki Bob's when I was, you know, 20. 21 yeah and then when you and then after the game for the uh, post game show you go ride the bull over there at cowgirls yeah yeah i love it okay. yeah yeah so yeah some so some other i would say okay what are the most memorable opening days here's here's some weird ones that are memorable i'm not saying the greatest opening days but one of my most memorable days is when i attended uh safeco field it was still called safeco no it was t-mobile t-mobile's opening day as a cardboard uh cutout um so in the 2020 hold on hold on yeah you were a cardboard cutout yeah i was a cardboard cutout i paid money i paid money during the pandemic even though like things were tight and you were always wondering where your next paycheck was coming from especially as a writer and actor and uh here in hollywood a struggling writer and actor i might add the chance to pay for my own cardboard cutout you know that just had to be in the budget so the seattle mariners had this thing where they were selling seats and they would uh have a, a cardboard cutout of you you had to upload a picture so i uploaded a picture i paid the the uh, fee and apparently like if balls hit it you're supposed to get the ball and all this and that and then they were supposed to mail you the cardboard cutout i never got my cardboard cutout but i can tell you what <laughs> I can tell you what, that transaction sure cleared through the Seattle Mariners. So <laughs> I don't know who's in charge of the, the cardboard cutouts. I don't know what recycling plant it went to. But if you find a picture of me in a suit holding on to money, it's basically I sent like a, a one of my headshots where I'm like an evil like Scott Boris looking like that kind of style one where I'm counting. We call it the, the, the young crooked senator look. I, I, I put that one. <laughs> Never ever saw it. You were supposed to get all the stuff. I think I just got worked for the cash, if, if, in my opinion. But where were you sitting? Did they let you know where your cardboard was located? I'd have to go back through my emails and look, but it probably wasn't good. Um, one of my one of my favorite opening days. I went to two opening days that I would say are my most memorable that I will hold on to. One was in 1989 when this happened. And now has made the club and is going to play in center field for them. Whoops, that one to left field. First swing is deep. Kittle back. Goodbye, home run! His first swing at the kingdom! And I I was there. I was there. I was there for this. I remember not really knowing who he was. I thought his name was King Griffey Jr. Um, I kind of knew of him because he had a candy bar already out. And I went to that game, I believe, with my Cub Scout group. And we sat up in the upper deck in left field on those rolling bleachers that they had up there. And what was so memorable about that night was probably the first time I ever experienced explosive diarrhea and that was because this was the first time i ever tried jalapenos i still remember getting sick and going home and missing school for two days from this game back in 1989 i was there i saw griffey's very first pitch you know as an eight or nine year old 
but maybe my most memorable de- Griffey came back. You remember that in 2009? Yeah, yeah. yeah it, was it was a big deal. The the second that happened, I booked my tickets. I got some tickets to the game and and I, and I made it up. But the the weirdest thing that happened to me actually has to go back maybe like 2 years to to when he returned um in the season that he returned as a Cincinnati Red. Do you remember that? I think it was 07. Um, yeah, you know, I remember he had a good series against this couple bombs. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, and he kind of was like putting those little feelers out, and the media was putting those feelers out about, hey, are you coming back? And he's like, this is where I want to retire. This is what's going on. And you know what? That just made, in that just like influenced me when I was in town during the end of the season to hit the sales and get myself uh, a, a jersey and make it, custom into a Griffey jersey because they weren't selling Griffey jerseys and you couldn't just go on offer up now and eBay was really sketch I mean it's still sketch but there wasn't just a lot of Griffey jerseys or if they were they were just old ragtag ones from the 90s I wanted a fresh 24 you know what I'm saying yeah yeah so I buy this jersey and I go and I take it over to the uh, team store to get Griffey stitched on with the official MLB stuff And they tell me, no dice. You can't have this, sir. And I'm like, why not? And they're like, well, uh, you have to be an active member of the Seattle Mariners if you are still an active MLB player. I don't know if that's a rule now. I never heard of it, but that's what they told me at the store. Have you ever heard of something like that? No. No. I don't know. Maybe they were lying to me. I don't know. Either way, I tried to throw them a lie and tell them that my last name was Griffey and my favorite number was 24. They didn't didn't believe you? No, 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 no. I I can't remember. Maybe they asked me for ID. Maybe they didn't. So I went back the next year. Same thing. Then finally, when he was signed and he was coming back, I brought that damn jersey with with me. I brought that damn jersey with me. I fly up. I'm staying across the street at the Silver Cloud. I take it over to the team store to wear it to opening day, asking for the stitching. They're like, no problem. Fill this out. And I'm like, Ken Griffey Jr. So the next day I go back. I get my jersey. I'm so pumped up. They slip me the invoice. It's a lot more expensive than I thought it was going to be. I mean, it was pretty expensive to do this. I was just better off, honestly, just buying a, a, a new one that day. But no, I wanted it on this jersey because I held out. Held out with. I mean, this is why I kept it blank for two years. So I go back to the hotel. I shit, shower, shave. My friends, my cousin, people are over there. We're getting ready to go to the game. I bust out of the bedroom. I got the jersey on. I'm flexing. I'm doing my dance. I'm doing my little fashion show, and everybody's laughing, and I can't figure out why. Were they laughing at your man dance? No, they they were actually mesmerized by that. They were laughing at something else, and what they were laughing at was on the back of my jersey, it said Ken Griffey Jr., and when I say Ken Griffey Jr., I mean Ken Griffey Jr., K-E-N space G-R-F-F-E-Y comma J-R in caps. So it went from arm the back of the armpit to the other back of the armpit. I felt like a, you know, a hockey player from the Czech Republic. It was just like just letters <laughs> along the back. And I looked in the mirror and I can't tell you, like my stomach just sunk. Just, just absolutely sunk. 
it was just like it was like a bad dream, you know, like where you like you can't grab the thing that you want and stuff like that. So <laughs> while everybody's laughing about it and trying to take pictures, I quickly get in the elevator and I run over to the teen shop and I go in there and I slam it down on the table like this is an open and shut case. They got to give me a new jersey. This is the dumbest shit ever. And then they're like, nope, all sales are final. This is what you wanted. I'm like, this is not what I wanted. I wanted Ken Griffey Jr. And they're like, yeah. And they show me my slip and I wrote Ken Griffey Jr. And I looked at the <laughs> thing that said where where you had to what you wanted on the back of your jersey and i was like come on how many of these griffey's jerseys do you do a day are you serious and they're like people want all kinds of things and i and so we go back and forth and i'm not like one of these people but i definitely at that moment turned into karen i turned into a karen a karen griffey jr and i said i'd like to speak to your manager and so they bring the manager down and manager shows up and he's like What's the problem? And I show him the jersey, and he goes, oh, my God. Oh, Jesus. Oh, God. He's like, okay. He's like, all right. We're sorry. Yeah, I get it. It's a little too literal. <laughs> so he takes me downstairs. I pick out a jersey off the wall. It's a Griffey jersey. I have to get it in a bigger size because my sizes are, are gone. Doesn't matter. I got myself a real on-the-field Griffey jersey. And then he said, hey, but I need the other jersey from you. The messed-up one that says Ken Griffey Jr. And I was So we're actually going to resell it? Yeah. I said, what are you, 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 you going to do with this? And he goes, we're going to put it on the clearance rack. <laughs> so I said, all right. And so I give it back to him. So with that being said, somebody somewhere, somewhere out there is wearing that jersey. And I got to find them. And every time they ever show that little camera in, uh, in the center field or this or that, I'm always looking for that jersey. Maybe it's somebody here in town. Maybe it's somebody in a, a third world country wearing it. But I'm just saying this right now. I'm putting the message in the bottle and I'm putting it out there. We got to find this person. We got to get them here on the Rye Bread and Mustard podcast. So it's the gray away jersey that says Seattle across the front. With Ken Griffey Jr. all the way in the back with a yes. two four. Yeah, the only thing missing is the George. <laughs> it's the full <laughs> hey Richie, there's a couple guys here to see you. Well, what can I do for you guys? Your name Zisk. Yeah, that's right. Who are you guys? We're uh, from Chicago. Yeah, I noticed your uh, white socks. Uh, what do you want? We understand you're pretty good with a bat. Yeah, I uh, do okay. How about maybe tonight you strike out a few times? You know, maybe uh, pop up. What do you say? Oh, I'm sorry, gentlemen. I couldn't possibly do that. I'm a mariner. Chris, what if I told you that in between when the Seattle Pilots left and the Mariners started in 1977 as an expansion team, the Chicago White Sox were supposed to be the Seattle White Sox. Well, maybe not by name, but the the Chicago White Sox that we just wrapped up a series with were lock, stock, and barrel going to be in Seattle for the start of 1976. Yeah, I hadn't heard that before. I just know the history of where uh, we got moved to Milwaukee. I have no idea about this White Sox. I didn't either. Scandal. I was researching something to talk about that was interesting about the White Sox, but you know, due to the way the schedule was, we never really got to do a lot on the White Sox. So I was looking things up. I was going to the typical things like the Black Sox and looking up some players and this and that. And then I went to this part that said 
the years of reloc the possible the threat of relocation. Now, the White Sox, I believe, have been a team since 1901. So it was very strange to me that their relocation wasn't happening in the you know the Roaring Twenties or around the Depression or during World War. No, it was in the swinging 70s. I just went down that rabbit hole looking at things and this and that. And guess what? I wrote myself an essay. Did I copy and paste things that I found from different, uh, you know, websites and chat rooms and, and YouTube videos? I'm going to plead the fifth. But look, I made a little segment. Let's check it out and then let's discuss. You ready? I'm ready. During the late 1960s and early to mid-1970s, the south side of Chicago nearly lost its American League team, the Chicago White Sox, first to Milwaukee when Bud Selig attempted to purchase the team and relocated to Wisconsin to replace the departed Braves who were now playing in Atlanta. In 1968, Selig, a former minority owner of the Milwaukee Braves, who was unable to stop the relocation of his team three years earlier, contacted the Allen brothers who owned the Chicago White Sox and asked them to host nine home games, one against each of the American League teams in the league, at Milwaukee County Stadium. The experiment was a huge success. Those nine games drew over a quarter million fans. In Chicago that season... With their 72 games and 14 doubleheaders, with 58 dates total, only half a million. In less than two handful of games, the Milwaukee crowds accounted for nearly one-third of the total attendance of White Sox games that year. But Bud Selig failed to convince the American League to abandon the Chicago market for Milwaukee. So... He turned around and purchased the Seattle Mariners, a team that played in Sixth Stadium in Seattle that began their play in 1969, and then a year later, he moved them to Milwaukee, and they became the Brewers. That's right. After only one season of baseball in the city of Seattle, Seattle was again without a major league team. This created a lot of heartache and mistrust in Seattle towards Major League Baseball. And of course, Seattle filed all kinds of lawsuits with MLB that would go on for years. Even after Seattle filed lawsuits against the Major League Baseball for breach of contract, MLB still did not want to put another team in the Pacific Northwest until a new stadium was built. Sixth Stadium, where the Seattle Pilots played, and also the Seattle Rainiers, which my grandfather, Harold Bud Jelma, played on, and now is the site of a Lowe's Hardware and Garden, was a perfect fit for the minor league games, but not suitable for a major league franchise. So the people of Seattle approved a measure to build a dome stadium in the downtown Seattle area, later known as the Kingdom. And this Kingdom, yeah, it got the attention of the Chicago White Sox and Major League Baseball. And the word on the streets from the late 60s to the mid-70s was that Chicago was not drawing very well and looking to move their team. And look, some say that there was some crooked backdoor politics going on when Seattle attempted to lure the White Sox from Chicago, and then suddenly the Oakland A's owner Charles Finley was contemplating moving his team to Chicago to fill that missing void in that big Chicago market. Add that to the several lawsuits against Major League Baseball from Seattle over the move of the Pilots to Milwaukee almost resulted in the White Sox being moved to the Emerald City in 1975. 
which also led to an elaborate scheme for a franchise shuffle that was about to come to light. In this scheme, the Chicago White Sox were going to be moved to Seattle, and then the Oakland Athletics were going to take the White Sox place in Comiskey Park. So shortly after the All-Star break in 1975, it was announced that the Chicago White Sox had been purchased by a group from the Pacific Northwest with the intentions of moving them to Seattle to start the season in 1976. But there was an effort by other major league owners to block the move because Chicago was simply too large of a market to surrender to the National League. Shortly after the All-Star break in 1975, it's announced that the White Sox have been purchased by a group from the Pacific Northwest with the intentions of moving the team to play in Seattle in 1976 as a National League team. With the news of this, the Chicago White Sox tickets plummet and... The White Sox ended up playing the rest of their games in front of only hundreds of fans per game. But there was a big effort by the American League owners to block the move. They thought that Chicago is simply too large of a market to surrender over to the National League. The move is not to be expected to be approved, though there is talks of the American League placing an expansion team in either Chicago or Seattle in 1977. Nonetheless, there's a deal worked out with the new owners of the Seattle White Sox and the Oakland A's Finley. Once the team leaves Chicago for Seattle, it will operate under a new name. And the relocated A's can assume the White Sox name and colors. Now the issue of the team located in Chicago is resolved and the American League unanimously approves the move for both teams. This simultaneously revolves in the city of Seattle dropping its lawsuit with the league. And after a contest, the relocated White Sox team is named the Seattle Mariners, beating out the Seattle Rainiers and the Pilots. And it's decided that the Seattle Mariners will begin play in the Kingdom in April of 76, and the new White Sox team, the former A's, will begin playing in Comiskey Park. Although there are disgruntled fans in the south side of Chicago, most are excited about the new White Sox organizations and their chances of making the playoffs and bringing a championship into Chicago. Because if you remember, the early to mid-1970s Oakland A's were one of baseball's best dynasties. And meanwhile in Seattle, fans are equally excited about a new team and the brand new kingdom, with their ticket sales selling like Dick's Deluxes on a drunken Saturday night. But then of course the baseball gods interfered and the shuffle was collapsed when John Allen of the White Sox sold the team to Bill Veck who decided to keep the team in Chicago. And yes, Finley had to keep his team in Oakland. And forced Major League Baseball's hand to resolve yet another lawsuit with Seattle, the league decides to award the city of Seattle with an expansion franchise team alongside the Toronto Blue Jays. So after many years of bad relationships and broken promises, the Seattle Mariners were created, thus restoring the Major League presence in the Pacific Northwest. And yeah, that's 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 my little Jeremy Shap uh, attempt of making a little segment here for the show. But uh, isn't that just crazy to think about that the Chicago White Sox organization could have been here in Seattle. Of course, not as the name of the White Sox, but also that the Oakland A's were going to be the White Sox. And then there was just going to be no Oakland A's. Obviously, Charles, or obviously Finley wanted to move them because the San Francisco Giants, even though the A's were winning all those World Series, were still outdrawing the A's. Yeah, that's a big surprise. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just, to me, like, 
let's just play hypothetical. Think of players that have been in the White Sox since we've uh, been watching baseball that could have been, hypothetically in this scenario, Seattle Mariners. Frank Thomas. Yeah. 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 Robin Ventura. I mean, that could have been a that could have been a Seattle Mariner out there getting punched in the forehead by Nolan Ryan. You know that. Could, that <laughs> oh yeah. That could have been. That could have been. That could have happened. Bo Jackson when he came back. You know all of these all of these moments. Uh, we could have had. Just think about this. They could have had Disco Demolition Night. Could have happened in the Kingdom. That couldn't have worked with Disco Danny. <laughs> no, that couldn't work. Anyways, that is Mariner's history. That is something that, again, I don't ever know about or hear about, about the history of the team. Seattle was thirsty as fuck, you know, in the 70s for sports teams. I mean, we were basically the OKCs, the Jacksonvilles, the Vegas that were just like, please relocate here. And um, and, and Tampa Bay, you're right. Yeah, and Tampa Bay, yeah. So that could have been us. Anyways, so yeah, so we're running out of time here, but uh, I'm pumped up. I'm pumped up that we're playing the Astros. The Astros are the team that we need to beat. I'm hoping people are going to be out there and get behind this team and, you know, we can take two or three of the series. That would be great. If they can't, please don't overreact. This team is going to get it going. Yeah, especially against the hated Astros, but let's get two or three at least and start winning some series. Yeah, and if you're down there today and you're there and you're waiting in a line and you're getting mad at how long it takes, just remember these are the people that work at T-Mobile. This is their first day. You know, this is their first day. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be weird. I like to call it amateur hour in there, but just, just remember to just remain calm, chill out, you know, have some drinks before the game. You know, don't go in there and have your first beer. Have a drink before the game so maybe you don't need to get a drink in there. I don't know. I agree with you. It's good to be polite to people, but the Mariners sure have been preaching this year that they change things. They change the schematics how people line up. The staff was going to be better. They don't want people missing the game and waiting in line too much, but I hear you. It's better to be nice. Yeah, and I think this year, I mean, I'm always a cantina guy. I've always been a uh, center field kind of guy. You know, as I've gotten a little bit older, I've stayed out of the center field a little bit more. You know, that's kind of a single scene down in there, but... One place that I did like last year that I like stumbled on was the Trident uh, deck or the Trident club that's down the uh, left field line. That looks kind of fun, but the problem is you got to go upstairs. I'm not an upstairs guy, but on 162, on game 162, you know, when we when I flew up there to meet you at the game, yeah, we bought 300 level tickets. I hadn't been up there in years, and that Trident club is an awesome fucking view. Yeah, I remember you showing me. You you were pumped up about it. It was nice. Yeah, I was pumped. Hell yeah. And we'll be down there hopefully next week. And, um, you know, this next coming week, we're going to try to get two episodes out. We're always going to be putting out an episode right before the weekend and hopefully at the start of the week. This last week, as I was saying in the intro, it kind of got weird with the um, the schedule and the wraparound and stuff like that. 
Yeah, exactly. So, anyways, uh, thanks again. Um, remember to like, subscribe, share, tell your friends about the Rye Bread and Mustard Mariners podcast. We're on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Amazon Music, and coming to Google Music and Apple iPods very, very shortly. And um, we're hoping to get some stuff on YouTube and get our IG page, you know, uh, you know, filled up. We have the name and all of that. We have that all taken care of. We also have an email. So if you have any questions or suggestions and stuff like that for the show, it's at rye bread and a n d mustard pod at gmail.com. So hit us up and uh, yeah. Thanks again for listening. And uh, anything you got to say, Hannah? No. Send us what you want, hate mail, love mail, whatever. We're glad to hear from you. And with that said, can I get the charge a horn from you? Charge. Charge. All right, we'll see you guys soon. Go Mariners. (laughs) Boom.